Hello, hello, my let's keep it real people. Happy love month. Sending you so many hugs and kisses and much gratitude. I feel so blessed. You guys not only have supported me for what, over 10 years, but you send me the best guest and you are some of my guests. I love you guys. Every time I come on the air, I think, how is it that I have the honor and the privilege to really get the inside scoop on so many awesome, inspiring people from around the world? And Marie, she is one of them, baby. I don't want to tell you too much, but if during this love month, which we talked about self-care, you want to find different ways to reduce anxiety, she just might have the answer. No, not just might, she does. So enjoy, share, like, rate. I so appreciate it. And again, thank you for recommending me to workshops and speaking engagements and purchasing my books. I really, really, really do appreciate it. Toodles. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. All right, people, take a deep breath in. Good, bad, or ugly, it's 2023, and I'm coming at you strong. I told you this year would be filled with surprises. And this year, at the beginning, Beginning, right off the bat, let's keep it real, people. I'm bringing on a guest that probably I wouldn't have been able to get in until June, but somebody got laryngitis. They'll be fine, but they just can't talk. They'll be fine. So the surprise is, and if I get her last name wrong, she will let us know, but she says it so much more beautifully. Dr. Marie. Lucy Cher. Is that cool? Wait, don't tell me yet. PhD, MBA is the founder and CEO. Oh my God, not another one. CEO of Akiza app. Let's just go with that. Akiza Health. That's it. Is that right? Just shake your head. Like, yeah, I'm good. Okay. A startup offering a self guided therapy app, helping people transform anxiety and distress into resilience. Now, my audience doesn't have any of that, do we? She is a global entrepreneurial executive with 18 years experience launching tech businesses for General Electric and startups in the U.S., Asia, Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. Ooh, she's been around a lot. Wait, holds a Ph.D. in chemical biology for the National University of Singapore. Okay. In an executive MBA, she must get bored, Columbia Business School, and the London Business School. Welcome. <laughs> oh my God, Marie, what the heck? It's been a great life. But before we get into that, what's your one word that best describes your past 30 days, whatever it is, good, bad, or ugly, and why? So first of all, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. It's a great way to start the year. Um, the word that comes to mind would be reflection. I've been spending the last few weeks doing a lot of reflection over the past year and what's coming. And so 
spending time alone, thinking about things, silence as well. Yeah. Really? Did you do any silent meditation? No, but I switched off from course during Christmas and the New Year. I spent a lot of time journaling and going for long walks. And so, yeah, journaling is kind of my replacement. I know it's not the same, but journaling for me is my meditation. Yeah. Okay. Well, I just want you to tell them I did not plan for you to say that, nor did we talk about that. Because, you know, that's what I do for a living. I write journals and make journals for people, <laughs> to guided journals. So that is the way, not that I don't meditate when I'm biking, but that is the way I reflect too. Yeah, I made a, I made my livelihood of doing that with, with my health. Coach. And you didn't know that, did you? I didn't know. You know, I did a little bit of research on your podcast, but very, very little. So that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So besides owning health clubs, my books that I wrote are Train Your Head and Your Body Will Follow was all in how do you get people to journal even for a minute to three minutes a day. So I wrote guidebooks, reset books, and just recently won a journal for kids, six to 12 years old, which the adults are now using, not the kids. Well, the kids too, but. It's like the doodling thing, right? I think it started for the kids, but now everybody loves to doodle, right? And feels little scoring books. Yeah, doodle, I call it scribble, scrabble, brain drain, but whatever. Okay, so I did reach out, even though this was last minute to my peeps and said, all right, what are some questions you have for me? And I showed them your background. And everybody's either Sally or Billy Bob. And we'll keep them anonymous. But the biggest question they have is, they really are fascinated by this journey because you've been all over the place and then circled back into an app for mental health with being in, I mean, come on. I mean, this is a huge companies that you worked with in the tech business area. Tell us just a teeny bit of that journey. Um, so I've always been very curious. I grew up on the farm and I think when I was very young, my father didn't travel and I've always wanted to see the world. And, and so I wanted, I really wanted to understand life and understand people. And a lot of opportunities came and I'm grateful for those. And I think I was a little bit gung-ho and fearless. <laughs> and so I seized a lot of opportunities that came my way. And a lot of those moves were not, premeditated actually you know I was like I had a hint I wanted to see the word but opportunities came and I was like sure I'm gonna go (laughs) ah so you have that you know let's just leap of faith attitude like trusting your gut instincts and like hey let's just go for it sounds good to me exactly yeah I'm a very big gut person and you know in in startup we say you start you start flying when you're still building the plane and it's exactly me. I used to be, you know, very rational and wants to have all the answer. But now I'm like, I trust the process. I'm like, it's okay. Let's stop going. And we'll figure out some of the details along the way. You know? Yeah. Okay. So here you are. You're in big industry, working for major players. What was the deciding moment? Okay, I'm getting the heck out of here. So GE was great when I started, right? I was in China. I was young. And I was offered a lot of opportunities, a lot of training, you know. And so I worked for them in China. I worked for them in San Diego. And then I relocated to Boston, worked for another division, a lot more stable, not growing so much. 
And I was like, I'm I'm getting bored. I'm getting unchallenged here. It's not the GE I knew. And the division was sold off and they're like, we're going to close it off. And I could have stayed in and looked for something else in there, but I was like, it's time to go. So I was like, you know, I'd been thinking about it. The plug was kind of pulled for me. And so I left. Okay. So (laughs) it's not the GE originally. You weren't being challenged and you're like, there's got to be more. All right. Well, then let's back up to when I was reading your background, you talked a lot about childhood traumas and that when you were in business, you didn't have to think about it. You were just ignoring them, running from them, not dealing with them. Correct. But then was it because you slowed things down or did you go to therapy first? So that's what I wasn't sure of. Like, when did you start like going, oh, crap? this trauma is within me and I can't run from it anymore. So it happened in different stages. So 2010, so I had been told, you know, go see a therapist, you know, talk a lot about the loss of your mother. I grew up in a family, which it wasn't known 40 years ago. It's like therapy is for losers, right? It's like, why can't you fix your problem on your own? And I believed it because everybody told me that. I was like, I can't get a PhD, damn, you know, why can't I fix my own issue? So for 30 years, I was like, I'm never going to see a therapist. And then I was living in Boston. I had a very close friend who was really smart. And I really trusted her and respected her. And she was like, you know, it's enough time. You know, life is kind of boring right now. No crisis. Work is under control. You know, maybe it's the time to stop seeing a therapist. So I went, I started the therapy, but I was like, you know, I don't have any issue. Right? <laughs> no trust issue. No abandonment issues. You know. I just want to rationally understand what's the impact of losing a mother when you're very young on a mom, on a woman. You know, I was like, I just want to understand. I just want to, you know, something very analytical. And then it started opening Pandora's box. I realized I had not grieved any of the people I lost. And so it started going down here. And on one hand, it started awaking a lot of fears and, and trauma. And then... About a year and a half later, my nephew, who um, is very close to me, was 17 at the time, was in a little train, and the train derailed. A couple of people died. He was in the ER for weeks. And that was really the the shock, you know, seeing someone so close in the ER. I mean, we see it on TV all the time, but when you are in the ER and someone is, like, in coma, it it shakes you and so for one year i managed to you know follow along in business school but eventually everything came back crashing that was really the the crack it it hit me so strongly my mind was like you know a lot of memories started coming back and yeah so i hear this a lot the side where don't go back like what's the point of going back unless it affects you now don't tell the stories from the past versus you got to get them out and tell them somehow, somewhere to somebody or write it down because they're in you and they're stored in your body and move forward. So I would love to hear your philosophy on that. So there's, you need to get them out, but just talking about them is not sufficient. So where mental health comes in right now is talk therapy, just talking about the trauma is helpful in becoming aware of what happened because we often forget a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. But it's not, it is not sufficient. 
it's and the image I use sometimes is like the ski track. You know, you it's one morning, it's beautiful in Colorado, it just you know snowed, and you can go anywhere, right? You take one ski track, and the day after you can still take another track, right? You're tracing your own ways. But after a while, if you keep talking about the same thing and repeating the same thing, this track gets entrenched. And so every time you go into therapy and you just talk about what happened, you re-traumatize yourself and you strengthen those neural networks. So very often it is not sufficient. And this is where additional modalities like EMDR, which I use, um, can be helpful to not only talk about it, but overcome the trauma and eventually move away from it it's funny because this is like perfect timing i was just writing a paper about this and it's hard for me because i have friends that are therapists who i feel they do sit there and listen to the same thing over and over again and so i have to tread lightly and it just never made sense to me, Marie, even since a kid, like you sit there, even not knowing how the brain works, it felt like you're just living in it and repeating it over and over and again, versus what I called, we were talking about before we went on brain drain, scribble, scrabble, like get it out, tell it, and then move forward for now. If you have, if you reflect back on it, but what's most important is here and where you want to go. So how do the therapists know, like the ones that you think of and that you go, wow, they're really good at it. How do they know how much for the person to talk about it and when to move them through? So it, it's, it's therapies that are trained in trauma healing. Um, so they use additional therapies like EMDR or now okay. some, some form of psychedelics as well are extremely powerful for this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the other question, that was a big question. I got I got a lot. I didn't think I would get a lot at the last minute, but it was exactly what you were talking about. You, <laughs> I don't even know how to explain. I'm looking at what Billy wrote, but basically he felt as he was doing fine, maybe not amazing in his corporate world. And then he started doing a little digging with his therapist. And it opened like Pandora box and it was so painful. He didn't understand why this was going to be helpful on the other side. And he's still not through the other side. So I understand exactly what he's saying. Like, why do I want to feel all that pain? Is it really going to be worth it? Can I just say that was then and push it down? Personally, I believe no. Um, And it's, you know, it's hard to trust someone if you're not been there. Right? Why would they trust me? They don't know me. But I would say there is light at the end of the tunnel. I strongly believe it. You know, I've been through some very, very, very hard times. But with the proper therapy and the proper therapist, there is light at the end of the tunnel. I am always convinced of this. Always, always, always. And it's. I'm, I'm going to be very blunt. You know, it's it's a choice. Is do you want to spend the rest of your life not living fully, or do you want to spend some time that will be hard, but the following years will be beautiful? And I've seen it with people in the mm. family. It took me a very long time to understand this. You know, it's 
there are people in the family who are much older and most worry what goes through their mind is, is it worth it? Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm going to die very soon. But for me, when it happened, I was like, I want to get out of this. I still have many years to live, you know, and it not only affects yourself, you know, your health mm. and all of this, but it affects your creativity, you know, because creativity comes from within. And so if you don't open up and release the pain, you don't feel mm-hmm. all those creativity, you know, and, and love and relationship. And it kind of eats you from within, you know, so it's, yeah, yeah, it's a trade-off, you know. Well, normally I don't tell a lot of my personal journey because it's all about you, but I think I'm going to share this a little bit. Oh, I think it was 2019. I remember being in a conference in Colorado about business. And the guy said, give me two words of what you would like in life in your business in the next few years. And I said, pure joy and freedom. And I, and I start crying because what do you mean? I go, well, I'm very successful. I own health clubs. I exude joy. I'm the person that lifts people up, but I just want it to be pure, not, you know, that I have to fake it a lot of times. He goes, well, you're going to have it. Wouldn't you know, Marie, the universe delivered it in the only way they could. For over six months, I had this nerve issue from falling too many times on my mountain bike and ignoring it, that I was in a fetal position, curled up. I couldn't, they didn't know what was wrong. They kept doing extra, oh, see, it kept, nobody could figure it out. Nobody could figure it out. I mean, they thought it could have been like, I was like, all right, I had a good run. Let's go to the next life. I mean, like they just, because it was like the nerves were coming around my brain and squeezing it to the point. I couldn't exercise somebody that was in the fitness field. I couldn't do interviews. I couldn't type. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't write. I couldn't uplift people. My assistant would come to the house and do a lot of it for me while I was like, I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. I couldn't shower, couldn't drive. Nobody knew this. They thought I was touring and speaking, doing speaking engagements. My mentor, who has the same belief system as me and you said, oh my, and by the way, lives in Florida, says to me, I'm so glad you're going through this. The universe couldn't deliver it in any other way. You asked for pure joy and freedom. You've been running for this child, for this trauma, because you were like, I'm happy. I have a great life, kid. But for you to go where you really want to go and have this beautiful life, you have to get, it's all stored in your body. You have to get it out. I wanted to kill him because nobody else understood. They're like, what is he talking about? Do you know what I mean? Like, this is a gift in the universe because I couldn't, I always would figure out a way, a way to mount, like way to lift, just ignore it. I was down. And he goes, and when you get it through your body, you will be healed. I go, okay. Well, I would just never meditate, but was listening to silent meditations, talking to the universe, talking to God, and it just poured out of me. I mean, crying memories. It was excruciating. But when it came all out of my body, that was the only way I could release it. I knew the feeling of pure joy and that I could tap into it no matter what was going 
on around me. It was a whole different feeling. Not that everybody had, like, that was my experience, like, because that was, I had ignored it for so many years and I'm happy and my life is great. And that was, I think it couldn't happen any other way. That was my personal journey. But I did not understand what it was. I'm like, I'm happy. I'm joyful. I mean, look at my life. I mean, like, I'm not faking it. But that experience of that, like you said, for what I asked for, I couldn't get the there any other way. And now a couple of years later, it's the weirdest thing of how I can just go, no matter what, I can get into the zone. And if I'm not feeling that pure joy, like I'm not going to fake it with my friends. I lost friends, by the way, because they were like, no, 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 no. You're the one we always come to. You are the solution. And you're always joyful. I'm like, yeah, I'm a human. I'm not always. Isn't that incredible how that happened for me? And then they found out what it was, the nerves that were pinching, they, they couldn't see it at first on a spur. And when it pinched, that's what was driving this. And then I went to the physical therapist. She goes, oh, I know what it is. Is that crazy? I know. And it's, you know, it reminds me of Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. And uh, so he wrote about the, the journey. And so we are all we are all heroes in life and, and it starts and it's used a lot in the movies, right? You have something that happens in the beginning and the heroes some, yeah. want something, but those crises are opportunities for growth, you know? They happen to us so that, and I, I read over the, the holidays, I listened to film Stutz books, you know, The Psychologist, and yeah, yeah, he, yeah. And he talks about the tools, but eventually underneath all of this, what he is alluding to is that those challenges are there for us to discover within ourselves strength mm. we are not aware of. Yeah. And, and, and this is really powerful and really beautiful, I think, is we are a lot more resistant than we think. But it's like when you exercise, you need the weight in order to, you know, build your muscle. If you were pushing against air, we would not build anything. So those challenges are here for us to you know, look at the past, grow stronger, grow more resilient and more loving, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you were talking like that is like exactly the same thing for me. Like, but I think what you were talking about, I was scared to go there because I was like, I can't handle, I don't have the capacity. That would be too painful to have those memories. But then you realize you do have the capacity and you do have the strength. And you do build resilience. And like you said, what's on the other side is so much more beautiful. Like, you know, for a small amount of time. And by the way, not everyone has to go be as stubborn as me and be taken. Like everyone has other things. Some people are like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm going to therapy now. Like I, my, um, my son, who was in eighth grade, I remember when his friends moved and he lost his friends, he wanted to go talk to someone. He said to me, I don't see why everyone doesn't understand they could benefit by talking to someone. Like, to me, it just seems that everyone would be happier to talk to a therapist that fit them. Like, he just couldn't understand the stigma. And I think now the young people, I mean, do you think the stigma is still there? It is still here, yeah. And it I think it depends on which communities, you know, launching Akesa, I realized I talked to a lot of people and without, you know, putting races and all of this, but 
as a as a white person, we grew up in a culture where it's a little bit more normal to talk about your emotions mm-hmm. and your feelings. But I have Chinese American friends, and they're like, I would never talk about stuff with my mother, you know, never. And yeah, yeah. They've, they've grown up in this culture, and even talking to a therapist is hard because. People in her family won't accept it because she's not used to it. African-American friends have told me the same thing. It's we don't do this in our culture. You know, you share it with your close friends and you deal with it and you move on, you know. So I think there is still a lot of stigma. Actually. Yeah. yeah. Well, the biggest thing, which is number four on my questions is, OK, I think I would benefit from a therapist, but find me one. And I know what she's saying, meaning that, and I even have this because I refer a lot of my clients to therapists and psychiatrists, the really good ones, you're on a waiting list or you can't afford them or your insurance isn't covering them. And so how do you find them? Because there, I think there's a big shortage of really good ones out there, unless I'm wrong. I don't know. You, you're very right. And everybody's talking about it right now. And, um, you know, I know therapists in New York because they advise the business and they are like, you know, therapists don't take even waiting list anymore because they don't want to give the hope to someone that three months down the road, they'd be able to talk to someone. And it's not a question of price anymore. It's, you know, in LA, it's the same thing. Even if you want to pay for $150, you can't find someone because they are taken up. That's you know, ah. the, therapy, the the pandemic was really hard, right? And was dramatic. Mm-hmm. But the benefit of the pandemic is that everybody realized that their mental health was important and more fragile than they thought. And so post-pandemic, during the pandemic and post-pandemic, everybody wanted to see a therapist, right? And so now we realize, well, there's a shortage of therapists. And we won't have any enough therapists for the next few years because it takes time to train them, you know? So there is a shortage of therapists. Simple. We realize, hey, we can do virtual. A lot of people don't prefer it, but you can see a therapist no matter where you are. So it made it, you know, okay, give me one. But recently, even the ones I've sent people to, I'm like, well, let's try them. They're like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, you're right, you're right, you're right. And they don't, like you said, have experience. Like, you know, they haven't been doing it, you know, and it's trial and error. And, and we have to realize that the pandemic was hard for therapists as well. <laughs> it's like we went to see them, we downloaded all our crap, and they're like, but hey, I'm suffering from the pandemic too. Hey, I need some time. We expect them to work, you know, like a hundred hours a week. And they're like, I need my weekend. It's you know, one thing I realized it's hard for therapists to hear a lot of trauma, you know, every single day, day after day. And they need time to rest too, you know. <laughs> And sure, do you? I know we're gonna. I want to talk about your app because I really do. But do you also see clients? I, I don't see clients because I'm not a trained therapist. I'm an energy healer, I could do energy healing, but right now I decided to focus completely on the app. I'm trained yeah. as a coach, I could potentially take clients as you yeah. know, um, via coaching, but I don't, I don't usually take clients right now, yeah. Yeah, you've, you got your other focus. All right, we're going to switch gears because I'm very curious about this. When and why did you get the degree? I'm sitting here going in Singapore. I mean, I need to hear more about that. Chemical biology from the National University of Singapore? So that's that, awesome. was the, 
discovering life, let life unfold. So I started my career, you know, I started, stud- I grew up in France. I was studying chemical engineering in the south of France. And then um, about a third half of the students would go overseas on exchange program. And long story, made short, didn't want to go to UK too, you know, too close, had been to Germany. The program in the US was not interesting, very small university. And then there was a new program with Australia. And I was like, oh, this is going to be cool, you know. And then one day the director comes back and that was many years ago. And, you know, French has, France has some colonies close to Australia. They were doing nuclear testing at the time. And so the director comes back and he was like, oh, Australia is very pissed off about this. They don't want to talk to us anymore. I was like, well, and then he was like, but hey, I stopped in Singapore on the way back. There might be an exchange program. Who wants to go? And then I am not kidding. I remember it very well. It was a Wednesday morning, late morning. And then I saw my hand lift itself. You know, I didn't even think about it. I barely knew where Singapore was. And I was like, I'm going to go. And then another chap in the in the whole amphitheater raised his hand. And, you know, some of my classmates were like, are you insane? You know, some of them told me afterwards, you're just stupid. And um, but then the exchange was created. And six months later, nine months later, I landed in Singapore. And then I it was just supposed to be one year. I got my my master down there. And I was like, I want to get a PhD, actually. So I still got a PhD. How long were you there? Six years. Oh, is it everything I think it is? Yes, and it has changed a lot. You know, Singapore, I was there in 97 to 2003. It was still, it was developed, obviously, but not as developed as it is right now. Um, but uh, it's it's this beautiful little island, you know, and it's extremely safe, extremely peaceful. And mm-hmm. and it's a jumping point. You know, you get on a plane and within two hours, you're all over Southeast Asia. I mean, so it's, it was a great place to leave. And I had great friends in the university. So it was, be- I mean, it was, the, the PhD study was hard, but it was a great time. Yeah. Is there anyone in poverty there? Um, actually, there is because what happened, so um, Singapore became independent from the UK. I think in the 70s, can't remember the exact date. And so they didn't have um, a healthcare system and an unemployment system. And so when I was there, you would see actually 70-year-old people cleaning table in the restaurants and everything. And I was very surprised. And they're like, they don't have any retirement system. So they still need to work very late. So you saw, I wouldn't call it poverty, but you saw a lot of people, you know, under duress actually. Because, you know, we think of all the glamour from the shows. And I did, I was at a networking event and I did meet people from Singapore and they were all very wealthy. But then again, they were at a business networking event here. And I'm wondering, is like just everybody, you know, wealthy and filled with joy and love? And did they figure out Nirvana there? I don't think they've figured out Nirvana. It's a very... um I mean, kudos for Lee Kuan Yew for what it did, right? Singapore was a little mm-hmm. island and it really took it out. But it's a very, it's also a very um, mercantile society. You know, at the time they had what they called the five C's, your aspiration. So get some cash, get a big car, you know, get a condominium. And then I can't remember the other two. But that was, these were the aspiration of people. So it's it's still ah. very money focused, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, we have to talk about it. And I'm fascinated by this, but let's do a deep dive into the app that you created. And I'm saying here, you're going to help tap into them knowing more of their healing power and transform anxiety and distress. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what a gift. How long did you work on it? When, when, why? I need details on everything. So I've been thinking about this for quite some time. I think since the burnout happened in 2012, I got even more interested in mental health, psychology, all of this. So I started reading a lot about it, got trained in various energy healing. And then, um, so eventually I found the MDR a few years ago. I really got out of the wood. I I suffered from PTSD, didn't even know it, and really recovered from it completely. And I was like, you know, the fork happened. I was like, I could move on, right? I could take another big job somewhere and just yeah, move on. Yeah. But I um, I was very grateful for this healing journey, first of all. And then a lot of co- coincidences happened. And um, the pandemic hit about a year in the pandemic. My friends started getting very distressed. I remember one of them was working for a big corporate. And they were telling him, them, you know, the employees, well, you can use CAM and Headspace and meditate. <laughs> And it, it's great, meditation helps, but it doesn't help you heal. I mean, and we wire the brain, except if you can meditate for hours every morning. I mean, and and my friend was like, I hate meditating, you know, I hate sitting down. And she was like, find me something. And I was still thinking about this EMDR that had really helped me. I started reading a lot of neuroscience. I was reading a lot about sleep as well at the time because. The, the the therapy that helped me called EMDR therapies would be moving their fingers in front of your eyes. And it reminded me of REM sleep where your eyes move. And so yeah, I started yeah. reading a lot about sleep and sleep is not only beneficial for the body, but it's great for the brain. When we dream, you know, for a very long time, people used to think, well, dreams are just a dream. It's a loss of time. I don't believe anything is a loss of time in the body. The body is efficient. <laughs> if it was a loss of time, we yeah. wouldn't do it. And so during dream, we take experiences of the day, we kind of, the brain chews on it and just think about it and then discard the pain and then keeps the learning and integrates it in the brain. So we wake up refreshed and more resilient. And so I started putting all those pieces together. And I was like, I was still thinking, you know, midway through the pandemic, after a layoff from a company that when bust, I was like, I'm going to find another big job and I'm going to read all of this during the weekend and stop designing something. And then I met um, an engineer who was like, I have some free time. If you design me something, I'll develop it for you. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. So I said, okay, pause. I got all the books and, and a lot of stuff. And then I, I designed a very simple prototype of the app. He coded it. And I was like, okay, I need some feedback on this. So I searched, you know, because at first I was very focused on uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And so I was like, okay, who are the PTSD experts in the world? Um, Professor Yuval Neria at Columbia, which is good because I had a Columbia uh, connection, is an expert, has been working on this for like 30 or 40 years. So I emailed him, mm. I said, can you get on the call? And he was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> in his busy schedule. So he got on a call, he tested the app. He was like, you know, it's still very simple. You have work to do, yeah. but there is definitely a need. 
And um, I asked him to come on board as an advisor. He came on board as an advisor. More people came on board as advisors and I incorporated the business. A pilot came about, got a lot of feedback. And then it grew. It was, you know, they were hard times, but I do believe I had, you know, the universe on my back, you know, kind of yeah. helping me and, and opening doors, you know. Yeah. Okay. So now you have all the right players, all the right people. Every time you're like, sure, I'll come. We'll, we'll work on it. But then how long did it take until the app went live from that start? So we, I started, I took the plunge in August of um okay so now i'm like august of 2021 and the app was launched in november 2022 so it took about you know 15 months and you had probably the greatest minds working on it with you i mean it yeah and like- I, I you know one of the advisors is extremely spiritual and she said it's an app of divine inspiration and a lot of ideas came you know from you know yeah, the, uni- yeah. U- the universe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I want to go more into the app. Who is it for? Because when we were going through it and the people that do see therapists, I got a number of questions. Question number five, top five, is, is this in addition to your therapy or instead or either or? So... We position it as a first step before therapy or a supplement to therapy. So it's both. It's people who don't have access to therapy, who don't want to talk to a therapist, because some people are still not willing to talk to a therapist, or people who are in therapy and need sometimes something in between sessions. Okay. And is the app, because I haven't haven't experienced with it, because like I said, Usually I'll do a deep dive, but this was overnight that we met, but I'm fascinated. Is it something you use once a week, daily, monthly? Tell us a little bit more about it. So you can use it anytime you need it. The app is a companion to transform distress and anxiety, but also to grow more self-aware about what are your triggers. Um, So you can use it anytime you need. And we've seen, you know, people who use it on a daily basis as a maintenance, Uh, people who use it when a crisis comes will use it multiple times a day, you know, for a few days. And then after it tapes her off and then the week after something comes back, you know, so one, one example is grief, for example, grief is extremely difficult to, I mean, a lot of things are difficult to deal with, but grief, I think is a very personal thing. You know, you don't necessarily want to talk about like when you've lost a partner, you want to talk about it with a therapist, but sometimes it's just very personal actually. And, you know, you walk in your apartment, you see a photo that reminds you of something, then you can use the app, you know, mm-hmm. and then you move on. And then the day after you talk to a neighbor and then something comes back and it triggers you, then you can use the app. So it's there whenever you need it. And so are there different times or is, you know, each session a certain amount of time? So the way we design the app, and it's going to evolve because this is just the first version. Yeah. I have so many more ideas. But right now, it's um, it's designed with five main sessions. The first one is what we call the sanctuary. It lasts only about three minutes. You pick a place that brings you feelings of joy. So we put a lot of nature scenery. For me, it's the ocean. 
Um, yeah. And then, so you pick this place and then you follow this slow moving light and you have specific binaural beats. So let me just pause here. Binaural beats are sounds at a slightly different frequency on the left and right ear. And your brain can't detect the difference, but it will calculate it, you know? And so yeah. your neurons, neurons work on electrical stimulation. Your neurons will align with this frequency um, difference. And so you can tune the brain on a frequency that relaxes it. So you create this sanctuary, which is a place you can return to any time. And we've seen people using it before they meditate so that they relax. You know, they, yes, yeah. we've seen people using it every time they get triggered, like before a meeting, you're really stressed up. You're like, hey, let me just take three minutes to calm down, recenter, be happy. And so this is the first session. And then you have four sessions that walk you through the process of transformation. Those sessions last about, you know, 13 minutes. And so you're guided by your voice. There is absolutely no writing because I think writing is a very, you know, rational kind of process. Yeah. And we don't want people to have to overthink anything. So you're guided by what I think is a really nice voice. Um, to think about the traumatic experience or the what is bothering you. It could be, for example, an argument with your boss, right? Or an argument with your children. And then you assess, you know, you think about where is the emotion in your body, you know, what are the emotions you're feeling, and you follow a slightly faster moving light with different binaural beats. You don't need to think to talk, you just observe. And then what happens is at the center of the brain, we have an organ called the amygdala. The amygdala is the fear center. So when we get afraid of something, so when you remember, for example, a car accident or something, the amygdala goes in hyperdrive and it's like, fear, and then your body is like, got to focus. And then, but if it happens too often, it hijacks you, right? And yeah. so this light, when it moves, Professor Huberman at Stanford uh, published a paper in Nature four years ago, five years ago, when you move your eyes left and right, it tones down the activation of the amygdala fear center. So you don't feel panicked anymore. And so gotcha. you're able to think about what has been bothering you and the brain starts to process it. And so you follow this moving light for one minute. You pause, you take a deep breath, and then you observe what comes to mind. And very often, a related memory will come. And it could be, another argument very often we get triggered in the present by something which reminds us of something that happened in the past that is very related so very often we remember i had an argument with a boss five years ago yeah. and i yeah. never process it and then interestingly so people go through seven cycles and they are different music different you know guide guidelines and eventually i think it's kind of magical the brain eventually processes it and kind of close the cycle. Very often around the cycle, you know, in the middle, the brain goes on a tangent. And people are like, why am I remembering this? But it's exactly when you journal, right? Very often yeah. you go on a tangent and you're like, what's happening here? And at the end, it's like, it loops back to the first topic and then it gets resolved. And that's where I think the brain is just beautiful. And, and I tell people, I said, when you go to bed at night and you dream, you don't wake up in the middle of the night and think, what am I going to dream about right now? You know, what is it that I should process today? The mind, the mind just speaks something and processes it, right? And this is what I 
this is what I want to create with the app is give power back to the people to let their mind self-process and self-heal. And people ask me, you know, am I thinking about the right thing? (laughs) Whatever your mind brings up is the right thing. You know, it's not a competition. There is no right or wrong answer. Whatever comes to mind is what your mind wants you to look at. I freaking love this. I mean, (laughs) I cannot wait to try it out because it's everything. Like I have clients, so I'm, I'm a mental and physical fitness coach. So I send people if they need to, to therapist, you know, like you said, I'm entry level or a psychiatrist, but this would be such a magnificent tool, such a magnificent tool, because I was just telling my client, he's only 19 and he's like, oh my God, it's amazing what I thought the brain was capable of doing. And now what I know I was able to reset and do like, it's, I'm just scratching the surface of thinking, well, this is just my brain and this is how it works. And it's not true. And it sounds like to me, I mean, from the little that you told me, and you're just scratching the surface of what the power that people have within themselves. And the brain is plastic, you know, I mean, until, a couple of decades ago, scientists were still thinking your neurons don't rejuvenate and you're born with a certain neurons of number of neurons and then they die. <laughs> and now they realize, no, neurons grow and keep on growing, you know, and the brain is extremely plastic. You know, a little side story. They've shown that people who have like, um, you know, a, a brain accident and, part, for example, con- the, the part of the brain that is used for hearing actually is just dead. Well, the brain will take another part that is used for eyesight and retrain it for hearing, actually. It's crazy. <laughs> so the brain is extremely plastic. You know, we can learn a lot of things. We can we can rewire the brain. And, and there is one part of the app that is, it's not only releasing the stress, it's also rewiring your brain. So when yeah. something happens to you, very often, you know, we blame ourselves and, you know, you're laid off, right? You're like, oh, I'm a loser. I should have seen it coming. I should have worked harder, you know. And, yeah. nah, nah, nah. This doesn't help you, right? Those beliefs are disempowering. They bring you down. And and yeah. so it's about rewiring your brain and coming out and saying, you know, maybe it was time to go, right? There was yeah. an economic downturn. It's not my fault. It just happened, right? Yeah. And yeah. so it's really... This rewiring of the brain and the belief is also very, very important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, to me, I'm all about prevention and teaching techniques before it does get too severe. And this sounds like an amazing tool for that, you know, and giving, like you said, letting people know how powerful they truly are, you know, and that they have it within them. Awesome. 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 Okay. So you mentioned here and you talked a little bit about the importance of sleep. Well, I can tell you when people fill out their apps, like they're coming online, it used to be like, like, what's the number one thing? Okay. I know it's all my mental for losing weight. And so I finally want to deal with the mental for losing weight. You know what is now the number one thing people want? The number sleep. They want, I was at an event two weeks ago and the guy ran 
over like practically 50 people say, did I hear you say something that you can help people sleep better? So it's the number one thing that people are having issues with. And we know it's important. Is the app something that will help people sleep better? Yes. And so for multiple reasons, I think, you know, I'm not a sleep expert, but I think exercise, food, all of this affects sleep. But we we live in a society where we are hyper stimulated, right? It's when you and an answer about the app, but when you think at the the brain and evolution, you know, the brain doesn't evolve that fast. Sure, we are really smart and we can send people to the moon, but at the same time, a few generations ago, a few brain cycles earlier, we didn't have internet, we didn't even have cell phones. <laughs> So the brain is hyper stimulated. And at the end of the day, it takes time for us to unwind and all of this. So this is one. The other thing is we live, I believe, in a more competitive world, right? It's like you need to perform. You're always, you know, asked to be on emails and calls and all of this. For teenagers, it's like it's really difficult and stressful, you know, to get into college. So it's it's hard for the brain, I think, you yeah, know, to yeah, absorb yeah. all of this and, and unwind. So just using, for example, the sanctuary will help. We also put a sleep session with a slow moving light and delta binaural beats, which are the binaural beats under with which the brain is when we sleep. And some people at first ask, why do you have a sleep session in a mental health app? And I need to explain that a little bit more. It's because sleep is really important for me. No, I totally get it. I totally get it. This <laughs> this young lady said is saying like, okay, so she probably shouldn't watch horror movies right before bed, or this like because some people do that. They watch these most disturbing, you know, series, and then they wonder why they can't sleep. Like at least watch a comedy or something. <laughs> I know. And, you know, people say right now, they used to say, don't watch TV before you go to bed because of the light and everything. But now they are saying it's not so much not watching TV. It's what you watch on TV. If you watch a little sitcom that you've watched before, that is fun. It's okay. It winds you down and you're going to sleep well. But a horror movie or even a thriller when you're like, why did they do it? Who really killed the person? You know, and then during the night, you're like analyzing the whole thing, you know. Yeah, and a lot of the really popular, they're really serious dramas, and there is a lot of suspense and murders. Okay, but I watch like Frankie and Grace or Seinfeld, even, I don't care, something silly right before I go, I'm going to my downtime, and it works like a truck. Okay, so let's, I want to get this in before we go, because you you touched a little bit about spending time in silence, and for you, that's not meditation, it's journaling, I didn't prompt that. So let's go into that because a lot of the people that were writing in to me were saying they're not big meditators. They can't sit there for 45 minutes to an hour, which of course I don't think they need to, but they do write. And is that considered the same thing as being in silence, like just spending time with yourself and listening to your thoughts? So I'm not the, you know, the meditation teacher. So, you know, this is just my opinion, but I believe writing can work. And I remember this memoir writer, and now I'm going to, oh, damn. And she studied Zen Buddhism for like a decade. And I remember, and she's a writer as well. And at some point, 
her Zen teacher who told her, you know, told her, why don't you make writing your practice? And she was like, can I? And he was like, yes, if you're committed to it and you do it every day, it can become your practice. And I think this is, this is the, what is important is the attitude you take to it, right? If you say, well, I'm going to write when I feel like it. Yeah. I'm not sure. But if you say every morning, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write for 15 minutes, tired, not tired, emotional, not emotional, I'm going to do it. Then it can become a mindfulness practice. And one thing I, I, I did as well is a few years ago, I promised myself, I said, I will write whatever comes. Ashamed, guilty, painful, I will write it. And even if I told myself nobody would ever read my journals, it's still hard, right? <laughs> to write about something that you're ashamed of. But I was like, yeah, you make a commitment to this, you're going to do it. And I think this is something that is, it was um, a shifting point for me as well yeah. for this is you're yeah. going to do it and you're going to do it for at least a certain amount of time. And you're going to do it every day. And, you know, sometime I wake up, I'm late, I have a call. I do the call, but then I journal afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I agree with you. I'm not a meditation coach either. And I think meditation is phenomenal, but I believe there's more than one way to spend time with yourself and in silence, you know, whether it's out taking walks, biking in nature, you know, it's just quieting so that you can listen to what's going on. All right. We got to get into it. We got, I could talk to you forever and I have so many questions I want to ask you, but it's going to have to be another time. So a little bit more about you. What's your daily routine? Like, what do you do? Like, give us like, you wake up in the morning. Do you have a practice? Do you have a practice at night? What do you do, Marie? Um, I wake up. It depends. Weekdays, non-weekdays. Weekdays is, you know, I stay a little bit in bed and I kind of watch my thoughts. And I usually check email and messages because I have people all over the world I work with. So I'm like, I want to catch them, you know, before they go to sleep in India. I do this during the week, but during the weekend, I don't do this. And then, um, you know, wash my face, get some coffee, and then I journal. And I journal for at least 15 minutes. And during the weekend, is, it's a treat for me. I let myself journal as much as I want. So during the holiday, because everything slowed down, I realized there were a lot of stuff I wanted to reflect on. And some days I would for an hour, actually. And don't check news. Don't do any of this. And then if it's a weekdays, then, okay, I'm like, I've done my journaling. I'm recentered. I write my goals for the day. I still do it on, you know, pencil, my favorite white pencil and sheets of paper. I mean, everything is digitized in my life. You know, I'm all on my iPhone and my laptop, but yeah. I literally write my goals. And um, and I'm a little bit of a nerd. I have the goals for the business and all the bringed up little thing I need to do at the end of the day. And then I start my day. You know, I have calls or Right yeah. now, what I try to do is get a couple of urgent calls and then I'm getting ready to write some grants and I need some downtown. So then I'm like, okay, switch up the email, you know, put the phone back in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Check it, work. And then, um, so right now I can't really swim because it's it's rainy and cold, but middle of the afternoon, I stop being a little bit brain dead. So I go for a walk and I, I'm lucky I have trails. So uh I, I go on the trail sometimes I take an audio book with me sometimes I don't and then um because it's been really busy with the business you know I have dinner and then I get back to work in the evening so I'm a little bit of a nerd and you know um but um 
overall this is this and then my friday evening i always watch a movie it's kind of uh, i love movies i love stories um and then during the weekend is i usually switch off from calls as much i don't usually do any business work calls during the weekend because i like to I, I'm both an introverted and extroverted, so I get very stimulated and I can chit chat with people. I love this, but at the end of the day, I also need some time alone. So during the weekend, I'm like, except urgency, I don't do any business school whatsoever. So wait a minute, let's circle back in your swimming. So you don't swim inside, you swim outside. Yes. I'm a very big swimmer. I grew up in Brittany by the ocean and you know, I, uh, I'm in Pisces as well. So I don't know. I have a love for water. And so I grew up, even before I learned how to swim in school, I would go in, you know, my dad would drive me to the beach and I would play in the water. I did, my cousins made fun of me. I didn't know how to swim. And when I was living in Dubai, I launched a business. It was very, very busy. But every day at the end of the day, I, I would go to the ocean and then swim for one hour in the ocean. That help me maintain my sanity so this is a kind of meditation as well no cell phone nothing at all yeah yeah so that's why you're moving to miami so you can swim in the ocean more yes. it's Which like is a <laughs> i mean like it's adventurous and i'm so you know it's like I'm so refreshed after this. I have so much more energy. I'm clearer. And some people say being in salty water is actually very purifying. Um, yeah. So, yeah, swimming for me is, it's one of the loves of my life. You know? Okay, so you don't get scared of the waves, like the big waves or anything? No. no. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, the trick is, and I used to live in Hawaii for a little while, is, you know, the waves crash and you go past the waves where it's calmer and then you swim down there and then so you have to come back but it's it's okay yeah all right so i was trying to keep track but i lost track how many different places have you lived in your lifetime do you know yeah so you do? i grew up in france i lived in singapore from okay. singapore i moved to shanghai i worked in okay. shanghai for a few years g moved me to san diego i was there for three years G moved me to Boston. I was there for four years. And then after the burnout, I went on a, a trip. So I traveled all over um, sub-Saharan Africa. So that was like moving. I never really settled. And then okay. an opportunity. Then I, I lived on Maui for a while to do some okay. writing. And then I was in Dubai for three years. And then Romantic. I came back. I was in New York for a couple of months. And then the last business relocated me here to California. Okay, so I'm going to go top 10. I mean, I'm sure in Africa there was a bunch of bullets. <laughs> Do you have a favorite? Um, I love Maui. I think Maui is just beautiful. You know, it's a little bit difficult to work in Maui, right? Everybody is like retired or, you know, on vacation and you're so far away from time zones. And But it's... For me, it's the definition of paradise, right? It's really safe and the nature is just luxuriant. You know, it's like, it's lush, right? It's warm, it's bright, there are flowers and it's spiritual as well. And then there's the energy of the volcano as well. And so I think Maria is just beautiful. So I'm seeing all the places you've lived and thinking that you're the kind of person that could up and move anywhere. And I'm wondering, 
of all these places, not that I don't like Miami, why you chose Miami to go to? It may sound strange, but I can't fully explain. So I'm going to, I can give you a lot of rational reasons, right? I want to be on East Coast time. I want to be able to swim. You know, it's good for taxes. I have friends there. But it's also a gut feeling that I need to be there as well for the next step of my life. All right. No, I, I get that. All right. Well, this has been such a blessing. It's such a nice surprise. I love when things happen like this that aren't planned in our last minute. But before we go, my Let's Keep It Real people need to know how they can find you and or your app. Like, where can they go? Because I know they're all going to want to use it. So we're going to put the links, but um, base places to look at the website. So www.akesahealth.com. A-K-E-S-A health.com. And this there you can find everything, you know, LinkedIn page, where to download the app. It's only on the app store. Android people, please wait. It's coming soon. And uh you can email me directly. So I'm on social media, I'm on Twitter a little bit, I'm on Facebook a little bit, but I'm not super fast down there. Um, if people want to reach out, they can email me directly. It's Marie at akesahoff.com or at the bottom of the website, you can see the hello at akesahoff.com as well. Yeah. The address is there. And I'm on LinkedIn a lot more often than any other social media. So my Pixel 6 phone, it's not ready for it yet? I'm so, I had to make a decision, you know, with budget Hi. and engineering time. And we're like, let's launch on the App Store, get some feedback, make sure it's sticking off. And then the team is getting started very soon on Android. It's coming. It's coming. My whole family, they all have Apple phones. They even bought me an Apple phone. <laughs> I have an Apple computer. So and on. I don't have stocks in Apple, you know? Um, yeah, no, I get it. I get it. All right. Anything, Marie, we didn't get in that you want to tell the people? Now's the time. I think we talked about it a little bit, but... So first of all, I'm grateful for all the questions that people send. So I guess two things. One is... Um, there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I want to say that again, there is light at the end of the tunnel. You know, the, um, so I'm just going to take a couple of minutes. I, I reread the Chinese classic, you know, the Tao Te Ching with the yin and the yang. And yeah, yeah. So, and they said, the darker it gets, the closer you are to brightness. Because in the yin and the yang, you know, when it goes all white you have a little dot of black and then you move to the cycle and it's the same with the moons and everything and the sun setting and rising we live in circles and and in cycles and sometimes the cycle is short sometimes it is long but it's always a cycle so the darker it gets the closer you are to getting to the brightness and then the second thing that comes to mind now is you know i am not trained as a therapist i am trained as a coach um, I'm trained as an energy healer, but if people want to bounce ideas or even if they have questions or anything, my email, my email is there. I'm very focused on Akesa right now, but I do allocate some time if people need help with anything. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And my let's keep it real people. Come on. You know, you want to share this, rate this and like it. It really does help. We really do appreciate it. Spread the word. I don't think there's anybody who couldn't benefit from this. Anyone, we all can benefit. And I don't know of anyone of any human being that wouldn't benefit from this app. I really don't. I, I, I know. Look at the one who is not stressed right now, right? Yeah. 
I'm just kidding. I'm, not, I'm just saying this. I mean, I just can't even imagine. Until next time, you know what I'm going to say. Toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.